Amen. Thank you, praise team. Um, if you will, um, stay standing. Um, first, I want to say my name is Fennel. Um, I will be the new second pastoral resident here. Um, so no, I'm not replacing John. John is awesome um, from what I heard. And we happen to have on really highlighting shoes. And so um, <laughs> praise God for that. But no, uh, my wife, Charity, she was unable to make it here this morning. Um, she is with our 11-month-old son, and so you know how hard it is traveling with young kids. Um, so, so yes, so that's why I'm here alone. But um, if you will, um, stay standing. We'll be in Hebrews 11, verse 29. Hebrews 11, verse 29. I'm going to read it out of the ESV version. I'm going to read it in um, English, and then I'll read it in Spanish as well. Hebrews 11, verse 29. When you get there, say Amen. I'm used to seeing like tablets and everything out there, so <clears throat> it's one verse, so it's okay. Hebrews 11, verse 29, let me pull that up. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Excuse me, I forgot to take my mask off. That might be better. Spanish, Hebreos 11, verso 29. Por la fe, el pueblo cruzó el mar rojo como por tierra seca. Pero cuando los egipcios intentaron cruzarlo, se ahogaron. Sort of, Lord, let us pray. Father, this morning as your word is brought forth, Lord, I'm praying that you would dwell in our midst, God that this morning is truly about you and not about us. It's not about us looking or being impressive, but you to be known, God. Amen. That we are not here to look great or to speak eloquently, Lord, but we are here to bring you glory. Amen. That we are here to bring you honor, God. Amen. So this morning I'm asking that you would dwell in this broken, fragile, empty, weary soul in a lot of ways. Be a mouthpiece for me, Lord. Allow your people to hear and see you vividly, God. Lord, we need you. We need you in this moment of worship. Allow us to just lean in and press in with our hearts, God, this morning. We ask that you would be with us. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Let all of God's people say amen. amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Today I decided to make this title. I don't know if you could see it, but faith leaves legacy, not loss. Faith leaves legacy, not loss. One of my um, favorite preachers, his name is H.B. Charles. He has this saying, and I'm throwing it out for you guys. Um, he says when there is this you know, older woman who sits in the front, whenever he's preaching well, that she would say, Lord, help us. And when he's not, <laughs> she would say, Lord, help him. So in a lot of ways, I'm asking you guys, if I botch this or throw this way, you would throw a shoe, throw some coffee, and madage it a little bit. But no, seriously. <laughs> I'm praying today that you would be gracious on me as I walk through God's word with you. Faith leaves legacy, not loss. In 1979, January 1st, there was a man by the name of Pearson. This man decided to take a journey, a journey that would take 23 days in length. This journey would require him to mount this raft, this bamboo-wooded material, this journey would also require him to leave his family, his friends, and people he loved and knew for a very long time. 
This journey would also require, more importantly, him leaving his wife. Ten months later, the month of October, in the following year, his wife named Inadette followed suit. She, too, would make this journey 23 days on a raft with some of her siblings. On this particular journey, though, she would experience immense difficulty, immense tragedy, as she would have to discard family members who were sick and ill and couldn't make the trip, leaving the majority of her family behind and ones that she loved. Excuse me, let me fix myself. One would also have to imagine what would it be? No bathroom. Nothing, no storage, no iPhone, no AirPod, nothing, no PS4, no Instagramming, nothing, just a couple of Haitians navigating across the Gulf of Mexico, trying to get to South Beach Sands. I'm from South Florida, so that's where they were trying to go. Nice pearly white South Beach. This woman would make this journey, and it would be very, very difficult. And before she started this journey, she said something really, really profound, and I'm going to say it. She said it in Creole. I'm going to translate it in English as well. This is what she said. Bon dieu. Si vous faites toucher pays ça, m'observez toute la vie. Translation. God, if you get me to this shore, if you let my feet touch these pearly white South Beach beauty, that I will serve you, even though that there's difficulty, even though that there's trials ahead, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Somebody understood. A gutsy request turns into this woman making what it seemed like the promised land 23 days later. Mind you, she was making this trip, leaving four children behind and a baby in her womb. And what the Lord did was crazy. The Lord flourished her. The Lord allowed her to make, make it to shore, has given many kids who now believe in the Lord, has given her 30-plus grandchildren. In the late 90s, she was able to buy a house in one of the most affluent cities in Florida, arguably one of the most affluent places in the country. And more importantly, she has faith now in Jesus Christ, and she's been walking with the Lord for 40-plus years. I mention this story not because it's going to sell or it's just a great intro or anything, but as I was processing this, this is a story that my grandmother told me. Her name is Habana. This is a story that my brothers and sisters would tell me growing up. And I was leaning into this passage in Exodus 14. I was reading, I was like, I thought of this story. And as we read today, I'm going to read it for us and kind of skim through Exodus 14. I just wanted to be a, a backdrop and play like as a, 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 almost like a window for us this morning. This is a story we're really, really familiar with in Exodus 14. We don't have to post it on there. If someone said Red Sea, most of us would probably think of the Prince of Egypt. No? Okay. Deliver us, boom, boom. You remember that? No? Okay. So we would probably would think of that when someone says Red Sea, or if you're silly like me, you'd probably think of this other movie called Bruce Almighty, anyone. Okay, 
So we know about Bruce Almighty, this man who blames everything on God. Morgan Freeman happens to be God. That's another conversation. Blames everything on God and says it's your fault. And then he goes to this diner and he's sitting there. A waitress gives him you know, this cup of soup. It's red. And he sits there and he splits the red soup, literally. And he's watching and papers are flying everywhere. And that's the picture we get. But that's not what we see in Exodus 14. It's a ridiculous movie scene and, and probably crazy to some. But here, we encounter what will be one of the greatest physical and most tangible, miraculous acts of God. One that would literally go down in history, that we would never, ever forget. I won't read all the text. I want to give a survey this morning, and I want to expound largely on this idea of enduring by faith that was laid before us. And I want us to see how our faith life and our faith walk and what we do leaves a legacy of faith for the generations to come. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. Good. I have to make sure you guys are here, okay? I got to make sure we have energy. So we begin at Exodus 14. The people of Israel are being led out. They are walking out and thinking that this, this is it. I'm going to make it to the promised land. I'm going to touch those shores just like the shores of Miami, in the beach of Miami. They camped out in the wilderness for some time, and they hid out um, or hung out, I guess you can say, because they were trying to hide out. And now Pharaoh is on a search for them. Pharaoh accuses them of wandering and saying that you guys have nothing else to do. It would have been better for you guys just to come back be my slaves, and I'll give you food. I'll give you things that you guys can't get out in the wilderness. He tried to wager with them in a lot of ways. The Lord hardens his heart even more, and now Pharaoh is stuck. But then the people of Israel are terrified. They're, they're, they're in a panic. They're frightened. They're like, okay, well, what do we do, God? Because Moses, you said that if we follow you and if we are led by you, that you would let us free that you will deliver us. Isn't that the whole point of the Prince of Egypt and all of this thing, that you would deliver us? That's what you said, Moses. So the people start complaining. They start grumbling. They start moaning. And I want to pause there because if we're honest, sometimes that could be us. Amen? Okay, that's just me. Sometimes we grumble. When our marriage looks a little crazy, we're like, wait, 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 God, that's, that's not supposed to happen like that. When our job starts acting up, we're like, wait a minute, God, you said you were going to provide this and this and this for me. And sometimes I think we're more interested a lot of, in a lot of ways of this ease of life or just trying to get to the next thing than seeing God through our difficulty. But then Moses claps back at their grumbling and says, hold up now, wait up. I said that the Lord is going to do this thing and he's going to do it. And he says this by this iconic verse, one of my favorite verses. My grandmother used to say this verse because she cannot read the Bible. She can only listen and she can't read. And she would read Exodus 14, 14 in Creole. It says, the Lord will fight for you. All that you have to do, all that you can bring, all that you can add to this equation is to be silent. That's the only thing that he required for the people, just to be silent. Watch me fight for you. And then we reach verse 15. The miraculous act and hand of God at display. We witness God settling the score for the Egyptians once and for all. We witness God doing this miraculous event all by himself. No agents, no magic, no human performance, nothing. Just God himself. The Lord then tells Moses, take your staff in one hand and then take your hand and you stretch it out as far as you can. 
In verse 22, it says, The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, waters being a wall on their right and on their left. Not muddy ground, not choppy ground, not swampy ground, but dry. They were able to walk on that land. Their cattle was able to walk on that land. But then I pause. I pause, and some of you should ask, well, why are you doing that? I have seen famous artwork. I mean, like, beautiful painting of artists that I can't even pronounce their name of the Red Sea. I've seen movies about the Red Sea, as I just mentioned. I've read articles, blog posts, TGC commentaries, all sorts of things about the Red Sea. And yet the Lord stopped me here. If I'm honest, I can say we have probably read this a numerous amount of times, all of us. Can we admit that? And almost every single time I have read this, I have failed to see that this was truly a miracle. Can I say that again? Almost every time that I've read this passage, I failed to see that this was a miracle. Not just a cool act done by God, not just something that was like, wow, that's great. God, you're a compelling man. No, this was a miracle. Only God can do this. Only God can do this. And there was this crazy post that came to my mind back in December 8th. I remember I was reading it right when it came out, 2014. It was on the scientific evidence of parting the Red Sea. The article goes through what high winds and factors that would cause such a Red Sea to happen. Like, literally, he explains, well, if the wind was at 200 miles per hour, it can create a whoosh on this side, and then if it happened on the other side, it can create, you know, a part in the Red Sea. Oh, and also because of the valleys and the mountains, they were shaped a certain way, so it made it plausible for a Red Sea to happen. The author also states a research through this software engineer and his thesis proposal. Listen to this. He expressed that through atmospheric and oceanography, states that particular conditions in such manner were extremely possible due to geographical climate on a naturalistic sense. Now, I'm personally a man of science. I love science. I love biology. I love mitosis to meiosis. I love epidemiology. I love, you know, whatever. All of that great stuff. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, well, wait a minute. What is, what's the problem? Why can't I just say this was a miracle? Honestly, why can't I just admit that this was actually a miracle? And I, find my, I found myself in this place where I always find myself trying to rationalize the word of God, trying to balance the scale and be like, well, it could have been this if you look at it this way. This is what I do. Can I be real this morning? Seriously, can, can, can I be honest? This is what I do. I try to balance this thing out. I try to weigh this through my law and physics and what I know about gravity and earth conditions and all these other things and simply just not credit it as a miracle. And if I'm being ext extremely honest, I believe I struggle seeing this event as a miracle because sometimes I just don't want to see it as a miracle. Sometimes it's just out of fear of being too Pentecostal or too charismatic. So in an attempt to safeguard my heart, what do I do? I say, well, uh, it could happen, but for those people or for that group back in that time and not for me. 
Ben, I'm sure he's probably laughing because we had a conversation about spiritual gifts and <laughs> all of that stuff. But am I alone this morning? Seriously, can we be real? If we're honest to ourselves, we probably tend to belittle the miraculous power of God. Or better yet, we just don't believe. We rather trust in calculated measures and man's calculated sequence and ideas rather than the work of God. Listen to that. We rather listen to the calculated precision of a man than the work of God. I'm done. I won't give a lot of reasons why we do this, but I think when I was going through the study, I was just going back and forth, back and forth. Well, what does this mean, God? What are you trying to say to me? And this is not the crux of the message, but I just wanted to navigate through, and we'll get there. First, I believe that we must define kind of what a miracle looks like in this particular place. I use this definition as an unusual event that manifests God's direct intervention on the world. And I wouldn't stop there. I'd also make clear that miracles in Scripture kind of manifest themselves in a way, or, or they, 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 they are acted out in such a way to give a prophetic meaning to someone or a people group. And there's a couple ways to see this. So there's a celestial way of seeing a miracle. We see this through the book of Joshua. I'm going to take you guys on a New or Old Testament rabbit trail, I guess you can say. We see this through a celestial sense, where in the book of Joshua it says, the sun stood still at Gibeon and the moon in the valley until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. So sun, moon, all cosmic or celestial things, you can say. Or we see a miracle to play it out like this, um, kind of like an instantaneous method or a method that happens, you know, rapidly. The man in the book of Kings who dipped himself seven times into the water because he wanted to be what? Healed or clean. Or a miracle like this one, which is so, so, so funny to me in a lot of ways, Balaam's donkey. How this man riding this donkey keeps hitting his donkey because he wants his donkey to lead him the right way, but his donkey now then talks to him. Kind of strange. But that would be a miracle that's expressed through through an object or an animal. And lastly, we would identify a miracle to be like what we see here. A miracle that would control the nature, a miracle that would control the elements. And we even see this being shown in the New Testament too, as Jesus does this, as he calms a storm. So that's a whole other topic that can preach itself too. And as we hear of this miracle story, we can sometimes read and be like, good job, Jesus. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's what we do, because we sometimes are just removed of what it really means to witness and see the miraculous things of God. Am I alone this morning? I think I might be. We often think this. A lot of times, I I, I can't tell you why, but sometimes we think of miracles to be like this, this thing where we think of, you know, our cousin Earl who gave us this shiny quarter when we were in the first grade because we were a good squirt. So we think, oh, miracle. Or sometimes we think of a miracle, like, you know, when we go to uh, this shopping center and they give us more change back and we're like, oh, miracle. (laughs) Or we're walking across the street and we find a dollar, we're like, miracle. Or when we're going to Wingstop and we get an extra two wings, we're like, glory. That's what we do. That's what we do sometimes. Can, can, Can we be honest? 
That's what we do. We just, oh, that's a miracle, that's a miracle, that's a miracle. In our reality, God is trying to show us something even greater in this. Amen? Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't show us grace through little things. If you do get your extra wing, praise Jesus. You better eat that wing. You get an extra chicken sandwich from, you know, Popeye's or whatever. Yes, yep, yep. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yep. With a little extra sauce on it, too. But uh, miracles aren't simply just a matter of good fortune. They aren't just a matter of, uh, of us just getting something good. I think sometimes we can dilute this understanding of what it means to actually have and see a miracle within our lives because we just think of miracles to be for ourselves. Can we be real? We think the object of the miracle actually is just for me. The reason why God showed this great thing was just for me. And if we're really, really honest, as we make fun of the world, like, wow, look at the selfie culture, we struggle with that too. We struggle with putting ourselves in the middle and the center of our lives. And because we've either over-dramatized or just kind of make this Red Sea moment to be so, like, comic book-like or cinematic, I think it plateaus our understanding of what it means to actually experience this miracle in Exodus 14. So as we navigate today, I want us to keep this text as the backdrop. Exodus 14, I won't read all of it. But I don't want us to lose focus as we walk to seeing this beautiful picture, this beautiful window, this portrait that God has displayed through his people, and now what it means for us. Moses then instructs his people in verse 15. He encourages the people to move forward and to to lean in and to see what Yahweh is about to do. And the scripture says that God will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. So this is, the, this is the point and the place that we are at. The Red Sea is now open. It is split. The people are walking on this dry ground. And then we see another pivot and change in this story, how God is distinguishing his people. I love what Ben said last week. I will never, ever forget it. That as we witness the Passover or other acts of miracles and other acts that God has done, It is not a matter of good versus bad or good versus evil, but it's about the covered. It is about those who are covered by the blood of Jesus. And this morning we see how God is separating his people all by himself. And we also have to make a clear statement that this was not just for the people of Israel, but this is for the Egyptians as well. So that they can see that miracles only happen by the finger of God. And I think the Lord is trying to make clear, too, that while this miracle is happening, that the hand of God can't be thwarted in any way at all. God makes clear and succinctly we see this idea of justice. I'm just playing off of of the sermon we listen to in a lot of ways because there's so much overlap. Through this miracle experience, through this miracle that's happening here in Exodus 14, how God is showing both bountiful blessing and tender mercy to a people and then also judgment all at the same time. And we must ask ourselves, well, what does this actually mean for us? I think it was a call to both the Egyptians and to the Israelites to get out of the sunken place. Just get out. You have an opportunity here to get out. Some some people would ask, I know when I was talking to my wife about this, she was like, well, why would... You know, the Lord only have this blessing for the Egypt or the uh, Israelite people, not the Egyptians. She didn't ask that, but I asked myself that we were talking. And I thought through, I'm like, well, I think they relied on their powerful government. 
they relied on their gods, little g. They also believed in their own structures and had the own authority of their own lives and their own systems. And I think if we're honest, too, as we look to ourselves, we do the same thing. We want to be the God of our lives. We want to be the God of our children. We want to be the God of this ministry. We want to be the God of people. I ain't going to fall over. That's what we want to do. We want to take full and total control of everything around us and everyone around us in a lot of ways. And I think the Lord pricked me about that. I think also, too, we try to rationalize our faith struggles and often abandon true, necessary gospel living as we're looking at this text. It's not for us to look at the Egyptians and be like, whew, wow, they're stupid. Or I would never be one of them. Uh-uh-uh. I think we do this a lot of times. I do this because I like to tout my Christian faith. I like to say, well, I'm a part of the saved. I'm a part of the elect. I don't know about you. Can I be honest? Am I the only one that does that? Where I try to live this Christian life and and literally separate myself as if there was something special about me. Yeah, I can wear some colorful shoes, but that doesn't make you special. It doesn't matter about really me. There's nothing I'm bringing to the table. And in this passage, we see this detailed account of Moses leading his people by faith to cross the Red Sea. I think we can't miss all of these pivot changes and all these directional movements that are happening and just gloss over it. I think as we read this passage, we must really, really, really lean in and hold the fact that, wait a minute, this passage merely isn't about Moses just being a good leader. This isn't. This passage is not about Moses being a bomb leader. If some of you guys disagree, we can talk about that, but it is not. Yes, Moses led the people of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery, into a freeness and a freedom, I should say. And yes, Moses stuck it out year after year after year with the grumbling, moaning, griping people. And yes, all the people we have read about in Hebrews 11, from the first verse, Abraham and Noah, all the way down until even Rahab and now Moses. Yes, they've done great things and they have great contributions to the story and the blessing of God, but they're all sinful. They have all sinned. They have all some type of blemish, something that allowed them to be separated from the plan that God was really trying to make because they were not perfect. The main point that I'm trying to get at today, the main point that I'm trying to make, this is is it, so please watch, is as we look behind the curtain, as we look behind all of the the casing and all of of these stories that are thrown at us, as we look at that, we see the Lord establishing his testimony for his people providing a faith story and an access and, and this, this, this view of what a legacy of faith would look like through his miracles, through his hands, through his power. If you don't believe me, I'm going to go there. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Psalm 78. This is like a parallel passage to this Exodus passage. 
The inscription states itself, says, tell the coming generation. That's what the inscription says. At the top of this passage, it says that. And in verse 5, it says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise in them and rise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose hearts were not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Some of you are asking, well, why? What's the why? Jump down to verse 10. This is the Bible speaking, by the way, not me. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders, i.e. Exodus 14, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea, let them pass through it, and made waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with the cloud. And in the night, with the fiery light, he split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly from as the deep. He made streams come out of rocks and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Honestly, for reading this, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm not trying to be overly and for no reason. But these 60 verses in chapter 78 could preach itself. It just goes through just a laundry list of what the Lord has done for these people. And let us not think that he has not done this for us. Let us not think that it's only for these people and that he has not extended himself time after time when you felt like you got it right, when you said this terrible word to your wife or when you spoke to her in such a way that made you look like a fool. We are like this too. We are like this too. And in my honest, earnest opinion, I believe this text in Hebrew and in this text in Exodus is trying to point us somewhere or trying to point us to someone. To the one not who only provides a faith to endure, but that we behold our Lord, we behold our King and witness the powerful hand behind the miracle that he was able to use a grumbling people and yet still show them something so marvelous to bring about his purposes. If we read this passage, if any of us read Hebrews 11 or Exodus 14, and we walk and saying, wow, Moses, you are great. I feel like we miss the whole thing. If we walk away from this chapter and think it was merely just a good form of leadership from Moses, I think we missed it. I believe the Lord is trying to show us this morning that by his miraculous power, he is able to make what seems impossible possible. Amen? Amen. We shouldn't read about the miraculous hand of God and say, well, God will turn my lemons into lemonade. That is not how we read miracles in the Bible. But honestly, that we would identify the miracle power within our lives even today. 
That is the point, that when we look at this miracle and we look at this story, that we'll be able to see, like, ah, God, yes, I'm not expecting you to split the Red Sea or whatever uh, Lake Hollingsworth. I think that's the lake here, right? I'm not expecting you to do that. Or Lake Okeechobee. I'm not expecting you to do that. But the same power that did that for these Israelites can do that for me today in my own life. The same power that, that, that has moved the people out of bondage, years and years, centuries in bondage, is the same power today, y'all, that we have access to now. We don't want a legacy story that sounds like this in verse 32 of chapter 78 of Psalms. It says, in spite of all of this, they still sin. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. We don't want that type of testimony. I don't. I don't want that type of testimony. Last year, my wife and I, this was an amazing, amazing find. We stumbled across a piece of paper. It was taped at the dresser door of my wife's late father. And on the bottom of the paper, it had people I am praying for. It had a name that we knew, a particular man that we knew. He was a friend of my wife's late father. And this man has eventually, and he came to faith not too long ago, actually a couple decades ago, and I believe it was by the effective prayer of that man, Edward Wright, who prayed every single year, probably, every single day, and wrote it down, had the initiative to write this man's name and pray for his salvation. That's a miracle. That's a miracle, y'all. I think about this story because I think about these two Haitian immigrants, which happened to be my parents who are trying to get across the Gulf of Mexico for a better life, didn't know anything, didn't know how to swim, didn't know about sharks, didn't know about currents, had no nautical training, nothing. All they knew was this was the way for freedom. This was the way to be free. This was the way for us to give our siblings, our family, our children a legacy now. We don't want to give them a legacy of brokenness, of challenges, we want to give them something better. We want to give them something better, something that we can't even see. We can't even make sense of. They couldn't even read English. But yet they took a journey of faith and crossed this Gulf of Mexico. That is a miracle. That's not chance. That is not a good story. That is not something that just like, wow, they really just, you know, Everything had to be working right. No, God did that all by his hand, all by himself. And now today I stand here with faith, being able to preach his word by one event, by one woman's desire to really see, to really see something beyond herself, bigger than her, bigger than her hopes, bigger than her dreams, bigger than the house that she left and the property and the people that she had in love. Here I am now being able to express my faith, siblings who love the Lord and walking faithfully with the Lord, children. She left a legacy. 
But today I'm asking us, seriously, as we read this story, do we see the same power that moved these people on dry ground and split this sea? Do we see that power in us? Can we say that, wow, well, really, I think it could happen to us. Or do we just say, no, that's for them. Honestly, this is where I fail. This is where I challenge. I'm sorry, I'm going to get back on these steps. I don't want to fall. But this is my challenge, seriously. This is really my challenge. Ultimately, I really believe that miracle stories are, excuse me, getting choked up here. Miracle stories, I believe, were given so that we would not only behold the wonder of God and beauty of God, but that it would elicit some response. It would move us to do something. It would change us so that we can see something greater and better beyond ourselves and beyond even the moment. Even if we consider this, 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 this story, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament church, early Testament church, Stephen, he gave his first sermon and his last sermon all in one breath, all together. He gives this just beautiful picture of story of the Christ coming and what these Jews did to him. And he mentions himself what happens in Exodus 14. If you're asking and saying, well, Fennel, what do we do with all this? What are you saying? What are you getting at? You just sound like you're going everywhere. I'm sorry, but this passage rocked me differently. I was able to see, like, man, God, I've been viewing you wrong the whole time. I've been belittling your power the whole time. I've been walking on my own power, my own strength, my own miracle, my own effort, my own everything the whole time. Meanwhile, God is saying, well, when are you going to let me do it? When are you going to let me step and intervene? When are you going to let me put you on a donkey and have the donkey speak to you? But I'm just too, no, God, no. I need to rationalize it my own way. And I believe what I'm trying to get at is what I said earlier about our faith stories and the moments where we experience the miraculous of God plays out not only as a testament to God's power and faithfulness, but that it would do this, that it would leave a legacy. That's the point. This story is not so it can just look good on a shelf, but that it left a legacy. Years later, we are reading about it today. We are gathered here today to witness and look at the hand of God work. In closing... I told myself I wouldn't go too long because I don't want to go forever. In closing, I believe that there are some things we should do as we look at this text, as we consider this text. We need to ask ourselves, what does leaving a legacy look like? What, what, what legacy truly will my faith leave? Can we ask ourselves that this morning? Is that fair? Or can I say it even further? What impact will I have or leave on the generations to come? How will my faith story, how will those stories that shape my faith, that shape where I came from, from this place to that place, and all the moves that I've done from Kentucky to New York to Miami to this place, how are all of these things and within the stories that I share, how are they building a faith story within me? How am I witnessing the miraculous hand of God through those things? 
And no, I'm not asking you these questions so that you can say, well, maybe Fennel's saying that we need to build a better and a bigger Instagram following. No, I am not saying that. Do not go on TikTok and be like, hey, don't, don't, don't do that. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm also not saying that you will be the next Billy Graham either. I'm not promising you that either. Or Priscilla Schreier or John Piper or Matt Chandler or whoever. But I am saying that our legacy in a lot of ways is not measured by those things or about our 401k or about the status that we have and all those things. But I'm asking us, are we simply just existing in these spaces? Are we simply just kind of like just chilling and waiting here a little bit? Are we going to small group after small group after small group, week after week after week, and just punting our faith away? Sitting here reading the words of Jesus and sitting here and reading all of these stories and be like, wow, that's uh, intriguing, and close our book and go home. Because if that's what we're doing, is that really a faith that would leave a legacy for children to follow? Is that a faith that says, you know what, I've been through stuff, and because of the things that I went through, I saw the hand of God, and now you can see his power, and you can see what he's made of. That's what I'm asking us today. Today's call is not a call just to simply exist. It's not a call to coast. It's not a call to just kind of figure it out all the time. In a lot of ways, the legacy that we leave shows the miraculous hand of God if we are truly in him. And if anything, as we walk through this, that this will be a witnessing power too. You even see it in Exodus 23, I believe, how God separates the sea and he does his thing and the Egyptians are like, wow, this is really the hand of God at work. Well, duh. But that they even saw, they experienced the miracle and didn't even take part in the miracle. Seriously, we should be like, that's bizarre that God would even do such a thing. And yet here we are, we are the ones who are being saved, we are the ones that are being held and, and covered, but yet we're sitting here like, huh, this was pretty cool actually. <laughs> that's it? God just allowed you to walk on dry ground. He just allowed you, literally, you can see the fish swimming right there to your left. But yet, that doesn't intrigue you. That doesn't move you. You're just left the same person. If not, what you do is you go to the base of a mountain and you craft more idols as Moses is communing with God. That is what you do instead. Or instead, what you do is you think that, you know what? I can just go on the Instagram Explore page. I'm not sinning because I didn't message anyone. But look at nudity all day long and come here and preach God's word. I'm the only one that does this, clearly. Clearly. Can we really see ourselves in that today? I'm not trying to belabor the point, but all I'm really trying to get at is this idea that, th 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 that there is a legacy that we are trying to give to the next generation, trying to have the next generation see, but it does not come by toil. I'm almost done. Saints, I don't want us to live this way because I'm seeing myself through this. Just like the faith my mother had to live this life, her legacy will live on. Even if it was that one story. Even if it's that one story you have, that one testimony you got. 
even if it's just that one, that that is still able to leave a legacy for children and hundreds of years later. In closing, what will your legacy be? I know it's a lot to kind of put into just, it's really challenging, challenging, challenging text for me. I'm not going to lie. And I didn't want to give you guys just a cycle. Well, three steps to having a better life and seeing Moses is this. No. But God even showed me, Fennel, what will your legacy be in me? Is it about scaling this massive ministry? Is it about being this dope preacher? Is it about having all this money? Is it about having all this success or fame or Instagram followers? No. Do you have stories that people can say, ah, because of this miracle story that happened in this man's life, I now see God more? Will we be a people that will be able to do this? Will we be marked with a countless witness of God and his supernatural working in our life, or will it be one of wreckage and just futility? Today I call us to a faith that endures. Today I call us to a faith that would just hold on to the steadfast love of God and see his works, his power, as not just something that's just tickling, but that it would move us today. Today I call us to a faith that recounts the miraculous, a faith that recounts the miraculous power of God. And ultimately I call us to a faith that leaves a legacy and not loss. Let us pray. God, in so many ways, you, you, you have showed me that sometimes the way I see, sometimes the way that I live, sometimes the way that I act, it is very easy for me to look like a Pharisee. It is easy for me to look like a Pharaoh. It is easy for me to look like someone, like a Bruce Almighty, putting my fist up to you, God, and saying, screw you, God, or forget you, God. Yet time after time after time, you abound with blessing. You spare our marriages. You spare those who are struggling through sexual sin. You forgive us even time after time if we look at the wrong things and we love the wrong things and we lust after the things of this world, but yet your spirit comes. And so, Father, today I'm just praying that as we all see this text, that we would not read it the same. We would not read it just as a good work given to man, but that you showed up. You showed up and you definitely showed out that you didn't need our help. You didn't need what we can give because all we can bring is our sin. All we can bring is our pain. All we can bring is our brokenness. But yet, God, you, you made it possible. And it took a miracle. It took a miracle to do that. God, help us to not ever see miracles the same way. Help us to not ever see your hand as simply, we're just worth it and we're good enough. God, we need you this morning. I'm praying that this word that was preached today, Lord, that you would move on the hearts of your people, 
as you did with mine? You know the challenges, the sweating, the nights where I really couldn't wrap my head around, why would you do such a thing? Why would you do such a thing? We aren't good enough. But your word says your tender, loving care, your mercy that abounds forevermore. Your faithfulness is steadfast, Lord. You, you are the reason why. So today, be with us, God, as we continue to worship you. Be in our midst. We need you. We need you. We need you. We love you and we thank you. Let all of God's people say amen.